Welcome to Word is Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 6-28-2023, and we are ready to begin our worship service for this evening. Let's have prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we have. We are grateful for our life, health, and strength that you have given us. And Father, we recognize the call that is over our lives, and we pray that we will have not only the courage the wisdom to be able to walk in the footsteps of Christ and as those who are uh, a part of the new creation in him. Father, we thank you for those who have joined and uh, we, we pray for uh, lifting Fred up at this hour, uh, who will be having uh, going under surgery tomorrow. So our hearts and thoughts uh, are, are in the care that he will receive tomorrow. We pray for the doctors, the surgeons, uh, nurses, those who are in attendance. We pray for his family, uh, Brenda in particular. Uh, all of this, we, we ask, Father, um, for your perfect will to be done. Also, the other names that are on our prayer list were, would be Dad, uh, Frederick Presley Sr. Pray for his Recovery as well. As you know, uh, uh, our hearts have definitely been uh, burdened with some of the things that have been happening there. So, Lord, we pray and give these things to you. And, Father, the, the, uh, the families of Word is Truth, that would be Dwight and Dave and Bill and Henry and all of those associated with them and their families, their loved ones. We pray for the protection that Jesus prayed for us in John 17. Protect them while we were, they are in the world, Father, as he prayed. So as we begin our study, we ask for wisdom as we look at uh, some of the, the things that God has given us a view of what is internally what he expects of us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So we are, as you know, studying the book of Romans. Uh, our, uh, Romans chapter 12 is where we are. Today we're going to see if we can handle a couple verses. Uh, Romans 12, 13 and 14. We'll see how we go. Uh, we did not have study last week, so... We're just picking up from where we left off. We're just going verse by verse. And you should have some notes. We're going to jump right in. Romans chapter 12, 13, and 14. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. As intense as scripture shows the personality of Saul, the Pharisee, it is obvious this is not written by that person. We should be reminded often that the scriptures come from God through the prophets. Trusting the word of God has a transforming power that will reveal God in the world through us. As we go through the inner attitudes of a believer, keep in mind that there were influential external pressures on the church in the first century. So this is where we are. Uh, we're, actually, we've been here last week, so I, hopefully if you remember what the context is, it shouldn't require that much introduction. So we're just going to get right into it. So share with the Lord's people who are in need. That's the first phrase we want to look at. I just have a few points there. The early church needed a strong foundation, and it was the leadership of the Spirit of Truth that led the way. And so, understanding this thought uh, in John, this is where we started out, John 16, 12, and 13 says, it says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of Truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. 
So we need the foundation. This is what's going to happen when the spirit of truth comes. So this is the very foundation of the church. It is the spirit of truth. So we need this. Now, unfortunately, many who we associate with the church today are not on the same foundation that we may be on. And that is not something that is so odd or irregular because if we look at the first century, we find there was a lot of dissension, division, discrimination, uh, hatred, jealousy, all kinds of things went on in the early church. I could just keep going on with different negative things. There was competition. There was all sorts of things going on to the extent that we should not be surprised that it has shifted and modified to this point where we are today. And there are still problems in the church. But we have the spirit of truth. He is still our guide. He is still leading and directing things in the church. So that that's, should be something that we see as glorious. The fact that God, has he's the one leading out and, and what we're doing here. It is not our uh, idea of what the church should be. It is what God the Father's idea is. And the spirit of truth reveals that to us. Point B, the, the phrase, this phrase reminds me of the early gifts given during those foundational times. And when I say share with the Lord's people who are in need, uh, so looking at Romans 12.8, we covered this already, uh, but 12.8 says, if it, is, if it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. In particular, if it is giving, here it is, then give generously. So it's a gift. Now, I don't know how much we talked about the gift of giving, uh, but it is a gift. You have to think about it that way. Uh, although we know giving is, uh, every believer has the responsibility to support the cause of God. But there is a particular gift that is to give, to support the Lord's um, people in this world. So when I think about share with the Lord's people who are in need, I think about the gift of giving. That's what it makes me think about. And it's important. Let's imagine the Holy Spirit has to come on the inside of us and motivate us to give. So who are we that we just don't have these graces or these virtues to be able to uh, to manage this on our own. And, but you know what? On our own, nothing that we have can God use uh, for our upbuilding, our spiritual growth. Nothing that we have can contribute to that. Everything must come from God the Holy Spirit. And you might say, well, I, I am somebody. I do have the the want to serve God. I have that within me. But you know, if we think about it, everything we have, God the Holy Spirit provides through us. So it is not about us, it is through us. So the only thing that we have, we're like a gatekeeper. We can restrict the Spirit's influence in our lives, or we can allow the Spirit's influence on us. To allow Words come to mind like humility, submission, you know, surrender, restrict. Think about culture, tradition, thinking we know it, we know it better and we're going to do it our way. Uh, this is the way we've always done it. Give me that old time religion. Right? That's restricting the spirit, especially in the light of the fact that God has created something new in terms of this dispensation. So you can, so the Spirit is the one who will influence us. We stand as the gatekeeper and says, yes, okay, God, I, I, I'm gonna be influenced and allow you to use me in this way. So obviously there are some critical things there that are needed. One, 
<laughs> I'm not into the whole list, but one important thing is that we need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So that transformation helps orient us to what we are doing on the ground. What is the goal that the Father has? And if you don't have that goal in mind, if you're not sure what that is, how can you work toward it? How can you allow God to use you so that you can be uh, a part of this, this movement that God is, is working toward? Uh, the scripture that comes to mind is Romans 8, 28. For God works for the good of, for, for those who are called. God works all things for the good or for those who are called according to his purpose. Right? Romans 8, 28. There it is right there. God has a purpose. I know in a lot of churches, in a lot of theologies, the emphasis is about the person. It's about you. And how they judge things. In fact, a good sermon for them is what is interesting to you. Does it benefit you? How can I benefit from this? Is this something that is good for me? If, if it is, they're going to say that's a good sermon. That's what, where the world is focused, is on the person. But God's focus here, once we grow up a little bit and we come, come to understand uh, you know, who we are in Christ, his focus is not us. His focus is the Father's plan. So we have to look away from ourselves to see what God the Father is doing and what his goals are what his ambitions are, what his plan is for the world, for what, why he created all things. Now, for us to do that, to take our eyes off of self and how we are faring in this world, what's important to us in this world, and all that, our culture and all, we got to look past all that to find out what the Father's plan is. Now, we, we are not here in this church talking about how salvation is the work of a lifetime and we understand that salvation happens in a moment of time. Just like Jesus said, you must be born again. So once, salvation and the Christian way of life are two separate things. So a person can be saved and choose not to live a life worthy of the Lord. Because salvation is not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. And a person could be saved and then that person chooses to submit their life, their presence here to the Lord. So obviously the judgment seat of Christ, the one who did submit, will be rewarded for their service. Those who did not, will not. So there it is. It's pretty short and sweet. It's not hard to figure out. Some people will choose to submit their lives and some people won't. That's the reality. I mean, I don't even have to know what the numbers are. I just know some people are interested in growing and fulfilling the, the purpose God has for them in this world. Some people are not. They're more interested in fulfilling their roles. And they probably don't even want to hear what the other alternatives or options are. So it is the spirit of truth. And just because there's the spirit of truth that's guiding everything, it doesn't mean we will listen to the spirit of truth. So this is why people quench the spirit or grieve the spirit. What's that mean? He's not mad at us. He's not going to go away because we've done that. But it means that he can't exert his influence over us. He's not going to do it for us, but he will motivate us, empower us to do it. Now, we just have to say, yes, okay, God, I've learned about this. I'm going to allow the Spirit. It does take me having courage to submit myself, to give up my presence in this world to some degree and to allow God to take and put his foot on that ground in my life. It takes that. It takes something from me. Well, what am I giving up? What is God able to do through me in that area? So it is about that when it comes to living the Christian way of life. It, it, it requires that dependence on the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot, a lot of people might talk about it, but they don't relate also that the Holy Spirit is focused on this new age, the mystery that was hidden from ages and past generations. They don't talk about it 
they don't, because for them, uh, their theology, whatever, for whatever reason, the Holy Spirit is grieved because he is not able to influence them to walk in truth. They, they refuse to see it. And everything to them is about salvation. So our goal is not only to talk about what salvation is. It's free, it's a gift, it's uh, given by grace. But after a person is saved, it is to help them understand and orient to the plan of God. So it's important, our relationship with the Spirit. Our relationship with the Spirit is just as important as our relationship with Christ. In fact, our relationship with the Spirit is our relationship with Christ. And if you don't, you could, the Spirit tries to lead you into salvation. And salvation is not about us, it's about the work of Christ. And then after salvation, the Spirit tries to lead you into the mind of Christ. Still not about us. It's about what God the Father has given everything over to Christ. And that is what we're growing into. So let's, it's important, how, your relationship with the Spirit. Point C. The story given to us at this critical time, and when I say at this critical time, obviously I mean in the early church, right? This was a critical time. Why so critical? Because we were in the process of a dispensational change. God was moving away from the nation Israel because they had rejected his, their, the son, the Messiah, who came to them. And he was turning to plan A, which is mystery, right? Revealing the Father's eternal purpose. So this was critical. This was, this is the big opportunity for us to get on board. It was demonstrated by signs, wonders, and miracles. That's the power that God uh, gave us to let us know for sure that this is the divine way. Walk in it. So there was a story given to us during this critical time period, and that was of Ananias and Sapphira. If we go to Acts 5, let's read about it really quick. Uh, Acts 5, 1 through 11. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. Nothing wrong with that. With his wife's full knowledge... He kept back a part of the money for himself, but bought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that either. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received from the, for the land? Now, so there are some things we just didn't see there's a part. So what we're doing is playing. We're going to go with what we have because obviously there was some deception on their part. This is why we're, the story is being told by Luke. There's some deception. Now, fast forwarding a little bit. So this is what happened. Peter confronts them. Because how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit? Notice who he lied to. He didn't lie to the Father. He didn't lie to Jesus. He lied to the Holy Spirit and kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. So think about it. The Holy Spirit, ain't, he, he's not in the business of making you do something. Remember, you are the gatekeeper. You get to allow the Holy Spirit or not. As I said, it does take courage. And it could be some manipulative process that you might not want. Uh, God's influence. So you might have, you know, you may be trying to be deceptive as they were. So, and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. Watch verse 4. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? After it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have just, you have not lied to just human beings, but to God. This is one of the clearest declarations that the Holy Spirit is God. 
I know the JWs, Jehovah Witnesses for our people who may not know, think that the Holy Spirit is not a person. They think he's what they call an active force. This verse, and there's other verses, clearly says, you have not lied to men, but to God. So the Holy Spirit, in the previous verse, right, is you have lied to the Holy Spirit in verse 3. Verse 4, you have lied to God. So that's who the Holy Spirit is. Verse 5, when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. I'm not laughing because he died. But I'm just saying that when he heard this, think about it. He figured that what he was doing was all under the cover. I mean, after all, I mean, he, they did it in secret. Him and his wife conspired to say, I gave all to the church, right? And they didn't. They held back some of the money and they lied. But they didn't lie to the men there, Peter and the others. They lied to the Holy Spirit. This is a big deal. The thought that God doesn't know your heart. He does know your heart. And they assumed that it went as far as the disciples or the apostles who were before them. They figured nobody's going to know, but you don't realize that the what is behind the person, behind the church, is God the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of Truth. He is behind what goes on here. He's the executive that we have to worry about here. Not worry, but he's the one we're, who's leading the way, as we said before. It's about him, not about us. So when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. A great fear seized all who heard about what happened. Now, according to the way the story is read, Ananias and Sapphira were both believers. I wouldn't assume they were unbelievers. Then some young men came forward, wrapped his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. That is the price. Well, that's according to what they were supposed to say, which was a lie. Peter said to her, How could you conspire? To test again, who is she? Who who who's being tested here? The spirit of the Lord. Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Again, the invisible power. We didn't. They didn't see the Holy Spirit. They just imagined that they were only dealing with men, but they didn't realize they were dealing with God. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, and uh, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So why do we have these events? Because we're supposed to have this fear as well. Fear meaning, hey, this awesome reference for what we're doing. And, and this is an important feature. Remember, this is God's eternal purpose. This is the new dispensation. It just started. Just started. And it is important that this foundation be kept solid and pure. So the, there was corruption already here with Ananias and Sapphira, but it was nipped in the bud. And so we ought to know when we approach God that we ought to do it carefully. Now, this wasn't the foundation, so it needed to be clear. Um, so I, I think there are some differences in how we handle things. Uh, but giving, I think the gift of giving was used in the early church. I believe it was a temporary gift to establish the church. I'm not saying that people don't have the spirit to, to help them to understand how to give and all of that. I'm not saying that. But what was happening, you will find that a lot of people who had the spirit of giving sold everything they had and they gave it to the church. You know who was another one who did that? Barnabas. He, he sold everything he had and gave it to the church. 
others did it as well. And so what do we have? Yeah, here it is. He owned, well, this is where it says, and this is Acts 4, 36 and 37, Joseph, he sold a field. So Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who, this is 436, whom the apostle called, apostles called Barnabas, which also means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and bought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. There it is. That was some, this is, this was, I believe, the spirit of giving. This is God, the Holy Spirit, working in these people. But now when Ananias and Sapphira, back in chapter 5, 1 is where we are, when they saw this, I think they tried to uh, say, well, we got the same spirit of giving and the Holy Spirit has motivated us to give as well. So just, just like the others who did, and they did it, right? So they sold a piece of property that they had and sure enough, they kept back part of it, right? So they tried to get the recognition, thinking that they could have probably a high position in the church and be looked at as highly respected. And that did not work. Did not work at all. So be careful. In this early church, this is what was happening. Uh, God, God was framing who the church was. He was very particular. The church was in its infancy. So just like an infant, God was hovering over it with these temporary spiritual gifts and his particular care over the early church. Point D, aside from the gifting of God, there is instruction for every believer to give to the cause of God in this world. 2 Corinthians 9, you already know uh, I'll read some of this, um, 6 through 15, 2 Corinthians 9. Since we're talking about giving, we might as well just make sure we re rehearse what is said. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what he has decided to give in his heart, uh, in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Those are key words that are abused every week in churches. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. Not because they need it. That's not the reason why you give. Right? Don't decide, oh, okay, okay. Don't cave in to like people uh, dunning you to give. Not, and, and, you know, give cheerfully. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. It is a good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. That's a quote from the OT. Now, he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for, the food, bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Notice, he who supplies the seed for the sower, that's God. He's the one who ultimately we're giving to. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service you perform, <clears throat> this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, right? This is where we were, in uh, our share with the Lord's people who are in need, this in our phrase in Romans. This service will also, that you perform, is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to, to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you and their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So, you know, when I say this is important, this is a, every believer has an obligation and God Listen, we wouldn't automatically have this obligation, but the Holy Spirit influences us to give. 
we can say no to the Holy Spirit as well. But we don't have to give. But we can say no to the Holy Spirit and not give. But if you give out of necessity or reluctant, right, all those things, we have to check those boxes to make sure that if we do give, we are giving with the right motives. That is what is important, that we give with the right motives. And here, that every, for every believer to give to the cause of God in this world. So it's not just giving. Well, look, let me look and see if there are needs in the world for me to, to give to. Uh, now listen, I'm not telling what, anybody what to do with their money. That's up to you, what you want to do with your money. But, but as far as spiritual giving, it is to support God's cause in the world. There are many causes in the world, and there are many uh, ways people raise money for those causes and so forth. But God has a cause. And what, what is the cause of God? It is his eternal purpose. The reason why there are all things in the first place is because God created them. And for, he didn't just create them randomly. He created them because there was a purpose. And now that we see what that purpose is, it is uh, upon us as far as God the Holy Spirit. To in, he influences us that we would give and what, we have to be careful about how we give. It is according to God's cause. What, that's the cause we want to give to. What, to support the work of God in this world. Second John, um, well, we'll get to that verse in a minute. So let's say practice hospitality. Let's go to the point two. I see time is really moving. Practice hospitality. What is that? Uh, first point, the early church was persecuted and operated underground. So we should know there were no road signs advertising Christianity. Missionary work was supported by believers opening up their living spaces. So uh, traveling missionaries were common in the early church in the first century. But as I said, there was persecution from the Jews. There was also persecution from Rome. So there was danger out there for Christians. And you would have to be careful about advertising. Like I ride down the highway now and I see signs about Jesus and churches and all this. Well, none of that went, could was happening in the first century. It would not have happened. So just to know, hospitality point B, through this hospitality, where it talks about practicing this, the gospel was spread. And I asked the question, how far did it go? I would say very far. Because whatever foundation that church in J Jerusalem started with, 120 people, that it blossomed to their believers all over the world today. Probably in every nation there is on the face of the earth, there are believers. So I'd say it spread pretty far. However, we must be careful to only provide for those who are promoting the cause of God in this world. So there, there we are again with that same thought about if we're giving, make sure we give wisely. Right? If we want to give according to the way God wants us to give, it is going to be to support the cause of God. And we have this in 2 John 1, 10 and 11, so I'm going to read it. It says, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house and or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. So the whole thought is believers who were on the same page, right? Now, just think, if they weren't teaching the proper doctrines, even if they were believers, you would have to be careful uh, not to support them, because even though they were believers, they're teaching something that's false. It, that reminds me of the circumcision group, right? Paul says, watch it, don't follow their customs, don't follow their ways. And he even says in the beginning, if any man comes to you uh, and does not preach the gospel according to grace, let them be eternally condemned. Let them be cursed. And so this, it is important that we have a stand. And we just are not people, you know, yeah, I know a lot of people are collecting or 
asking, they don't have traveling missionaries as much as they did in the first century, where this would be an issue for you today. But the, the principle is that for the cause of, the, of God in this world, that is what we are to promote, the teaching, what is this new age, this new dispensation, all of those things are important. If we're going to support something, let it be that. Let's get, we're going to try to open it up for some Q&A. We'll, point number three, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. First, why would there be persecution? It would be because of Christ and the new age. Those are the two key factors in the New Testament. I know a lot of people will just talk about salvation and how once you're a believer, somehow people are just going to hate you. The hatred will come when the world hates you because you're following Christ. That is, that's the reason why you're going to be hated, because it hated him first. So I have here, uh, why would there be persecution? Because of Christ in the New Age, the whole book of Galatians is, is God's given us in writing how we ought to respond to those who would attack the new dispensation. And that was those circ those uh, circumcision group, that's what they were doing. They were attacking the new dispensation. And then there was Acts 9.16. It talks about, Paul says to, he says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Jesus was telling that about the Apostle Paul. And then in Philippians 1.29, it is granted to you not only to believe, but also and to receive salvation, but also to share in his sufferings. So it is part of what we do. So we shouldn't be surprised about persecution and suffering in this world. I know the prosperity ministers and teachers are telling you, if you just be obedient and have faith and trust in, you know, send them money and all this other, lots of things, you will have lots of money. You just sow this seed for whatever amount they decide, then you will have all this money and wealth and prosperity. Well, here's what the course, I know it doesn't sound exciting, but it's going, there will be suffering. The, those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So point B, while there is certainly persecution from the world, we know it. I've talked about it. The context reveals that this persecution is coming from inside the church. That's what the difference here is. So when it tells you to bless those and practice hospitality and all the things that it talks about, it's talking about as believers inside the church. Here's this what this is what the temperature of the church should be. It shouldn't be anger, hostility, self-righteousness, judging. Uh, people losing control and all this, right? This, these are, this is what was happening. There were fights in the church, in the early church, literally fights. And so all of this, um, certainly persecution, but this is on the inside. Can you imagine all that we have to deal with on the outside of the church? That we are fighting on the inside? God is, that is not the way it should be. God has given us this in Romans to help us understand and study and allow the Spirit to, to influence us to walk in these ways, to have these particular attitudes. Point C, expect suffering for, uh, for believers who follow Christ in this new dispensation. And we already are in on Sunday's Galatians, and we're in Galatians 2.14, which is an attack, right? This new dispensation is big. Uh, so I'm just going to read it. 2.14, when I saw, this is the Apostle Paul, that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. He's talking about believers. I said to, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew and yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? So there was an attack on the early church trying to get them to go back to the Mosaic Law as the way of life, and Paul dealt with it. The entire book of Galatians deals with it. So we have that as part of God's telling us, hey, this is the way to walk. 
And it's in writing. It's almost like when the Mosaic Law came, God didn't just tell him. He said, here, I want it in writing. Write these things down. And make sure you remember these things. Point D. So the word for bless, right? It says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. The word for bless is, is here. It is to speak well of. That is to bless, to thank or invoke a benediction upon, prosper, bless, praise. These are, you would think, wait a minute, somebody's persecuting me and I'm supposed to say nice things about them? Really? So how does this work? And why does this work? And what is the thought here? Point E is one thing for the world to hate us. We got that. But the divisions and discrimination going on inside the church is also important for us to see and know how to respond. So Ephesians 4, 30, and 30, 30 to 32, why is there so much hatred here in the church? It's because this whole thing about Jews and Gentiles in one body. So the church started out with God choosing Jews to be in the church, and what I mean, what do I mean? Choosing them, I mean the baptism of the Spirit. Right? When that dawned, there were Jews, and then choosing Gentiles also from eternity past to be in this particular age. And once you put those Gentiles and Jews in one body, the cultural distinctions and divisions that were there are not going away very easily. Even though there is sufficient teaching and evidence, as I just mentioned the book of Galatians, right? Still today, people can't stop themselves from lusting, to, from being dragged to obey or want to obey the Mosaic law. It is something that is revered and it is against what God the Holy Spirit is teaching us in the new age. So we see the division, we see the hatred of the Gentiles. Or why do we have to be in the body with these people, these, these sinners, these dirty, rotten sinners? Why should we, Jews, who have the law and know what morality and purity is, and why should we soil ourselves with Gentiles? Right? So this is the big deal in the early church. So uh, this is what it says... Uh, Verse 29, Ephesians 4, do, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may, be, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit is there trying to lead and guide us in all truth. What are we doing? We're grieving the Holy Spirit. Get rid of of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling. So there it is, brawling, fighting. That's what that is. And slander among, uh, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in the Christ, God forgave you. So th this inside of the church, these attitudes, well, now we're talking about people in the church. What should we do? We should bless them. How do we bless them? We help them, right? That's when it says bless and do not curse. Uh, that goes to point F. Bless and do not curse. To understand this, the believer must resist the natural impulse to fight back. That's natural in all. If somebody fusses us out or, you know, cause us names or whatever it is, they, in, and we're talking about believers in the church now, the natural impulse is to fight back uh, and, and, and realizes why this opposition is there. Uh, so this is what the natural impulse is to fight back, but the believer realizes why this opposition is there and relies on the scripture and the spirit of truth to respond. So when Jesus was here, they told him everything. They even called him a demon. They, they said everything. It's evil what he's doing. Let's, in fact, they said it was so evil that they said we ought to kill him. We have to kill him. He must die. So 
they went through all of that. And Jesus, what did he say? Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. His attitude was, I'm dying for their sins. So our objective for believers who are involved in this hatred is to be patient with them, long-suffering, to show them grace. And like it says, pray for them so that maybe they will recover from the snare that is in the, of the devil that has, has them captive. And maybe they will change their mind. Maybe they will repent. So we have to hold out hope for fellow believers. Just like it says in 13, loves all things, believes all things, hopes all things. And so we have to, if God has the very essence of hope and love for them, even though they are walking in darkness, so should we. We should have the same attitude. Bless and do not curse. We're going to have to stop right now, but uh, I'm going to make sure we have some time. If there are uh, questions out there, we will open this for, we have a little time, so the floor is open. I think I have more of an observation than a question. Oh, sure. Please go and, right uh, ahead. Well, mm -hmm. perhaps, the, perhaps the question would be, um, well, the observation is the extent of giving. And, and, and it's uh, profound um, that somebody would sell their uh, huge field and, and dump all the proceeds at the Apostle's Peak, um, you know, and, and making um, huge and you know the Macedonians wanting to give more than what they had mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, the the other observation along with that is and the question is what did they use the money for in the early church versus what we see and I think we see a lot of religion like, building these huge houses of worship as they call them. you know with with fancy decorations and woodwork and carvings <laughs> and artwork and all that stuff um you know very expensive buildings mm. and yet you know you don't hear about that kind of thing in the early church you hear about traveling right and so it sounds like it was um just a very big burden to travel from one place to another and that was to pay their expenses for you know food and lodging along the way mm. yeah i think some of it would would also go for that and we see the apostle paul and his missionary journeys needed funds for sure and the in philippians we find the macedonians amply supplied everything he needed uh that he, he says i am amply supplied but also um for the poor those who were persecuted uh the, a common theme in the new testament that we find not only in the writings of peter and john and others but the, especially the writings of paul is about supporting the believers who were persecuted in Jerusalem. So uh, even the church started in Jerusalem. That's how we, we should understand that. And the foundation there, uh, Satan tried to destroy that church. And in many ways, he turned the screws on them religiously, civically, uh, you name it. He talked about relationships, their families. He, he put pressure on them. He, they, he, he put them in jail, confiscated their property. They were poor and destitute. So one of the things that um, we find is collections. And in Acts chapter 16, one, in, 1 through 3 or somewhere in there, it talks about collections. He says, I want get all this together so that when we come, we can deliver this to Jerusalem. He didn't want to, he, he's letting them know I'm coming, so by the time I get there, I'll collect the money that is going to go to the, those poor people. Now, and remember, they were turning these screws. They would throw them out of the synagogue. That, a lot of times, they would be estranged from Jewish economy, and it was their livelihood. It was everything. Many people lost their jobs. They couldn't feed their families. 
and, and all of this pressure was to get them to recant and come back to temple, right? Re repent from all of the foolishness of uh, coming to Christ, and this is what the way they saw it. And all those pressure, that pressure was put on. So, if the church could support them, that would be very helpful, and um, and continuing to have the foundation of the church strong. But you're right. They did not build these huge edifices and, and you know, these miraculous uh, artistic buildings. They didn't do that. It wasn't about that. It was about supporting the believers on the ground. And this was a brand new organization, this, this new church that Christ says, on this rock I will build my church. This is brand new. So it, it was attacked from many different ways as we saw, and it was attacked from within as well, because some of the believers refused to, um, to allow the Spirit to lead them into this new dispensation. They were stuck in the mud of, of the old. I'll pause. Yeah, so I, I, was, I was just going to iterate. Um, so, well, this might be another whole topic, but thinking about Prior to the church, uh, the, the tribe of Judah, I think it was, that didn't have to work and everybody brought the money into the storehouse to support the tribe of Judah because they were the, the ones who uh, were the high priests and things of that nature to do God's dealings. Yeah, I would say Levi. So how did that transition occur? That would be the tribe of the Levi. Levi. The tribe of Levi? Yeah, I know that's what you meant, yeah. Yeah, they didn't have an inheritance, but they got their sustenance from the other brothers. Uh, their other brothers. So, so um, yeah, so being in the early church, right, it, I think since Jerusalem or Israel had gone asleep, which means that God uh, had departed from them in the sense that he was no longer working with Israel since it was kind of timely in, in one respect is that they were they rejected their Messiah as a nation and we're not just talking about uh, a few people but the leadership in Israel rejected their Messiah and, the, and so goes the nation right the nation uh, received discipline and so uh, as part of that I don't believe we were looking toward Jerusalem or Israel it's just that the fact that the, the church happened to be in Jerusalem where the, uh, the, the legalism was at an all-time high in terms of... Uh, Jerusalem was the center of worship for the Jews. It was the holy city. Uh, and so for, for the church to start there was, uh, it was a hotbed of persecution there. And so I think it was more so, since the church doesn't have any, any um, priesthood in terms of Levi, or it, it is not even about Jew or Gentile. So it's a new dispensation, new age, new thought. So uh, I may not be fully understanding your question but, or your comment, but you can continue. Go right ahead. Well, okay, well, actually, two questions, but back to that one. So I'm just thinking about the transition. Just think there was a, the whole tribe of Levi no longer had that support, the financial support that they had prior, uh, after the church came into existence. It must have been a great uh, transition for them. Or, or, well, we know that some of them tried to keep it going on. They tried to keep the mosaic law going, and I'm pretty sure part of that was for the finances. Yeah, I think, yes. Yeah, I mean, and if we're looking, so I guess if you were thinking about it from the standpoint of uh, Israel, then transition to the church. But I'm not thinking of it that way. I'm thinking of it more like uh, Israel sort of went to sleep. So whatever was happening in Israel, it was, whatever it was, it was false. They were, they had turned their backs on Christ and... So it was not about what was happening in Israel. It was more so about what was happening in the church. Now, obviously, um, 
the, the Pentecost that we read about in Acts chapter 2 was Jewish. There were Jewish believers, but these Jewish believers came from all over. That was what the feast, uh, the, what Pentecost was all about, the uh, first fruits. So that whole thing, Jews from all, every, not every nation, but a lot of the nations around the world made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And those, when we talk about the first Pentecost, because there were really three Pentecosts in my mind, there was the Jewish Pentecost in Acts 2, there was the Samaritan Pentecost in Acts 8, and then in the Gentile Pentecost in Acts 10. So these three things, uh, in every case, God was telling everybody that the church is new, it is not based on Jerusalem. I like what Jesus says in, in John 4. Where he says, "There's come a time. There's coming a time when true worshipers of God uh, will not go to this mountain or that mountain. And obviously, that's where the holy city was. And Gerizim was the place where the Samaritans worshipped, but Jerusalem was the place where the Jews worshipped. And they were arguing about that. And so Jesus said, "There's going to come that time when it's not going to be this or that. It's those who worship in spirit." and in truth. And that's where we are today. That's literally how we are to respond to God by allowing the Spirit to influence us. And here it is right here in John 4, 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For these are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. So that is why, um, and there's more, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So there's such a new way. He didn't talk about the temple because that was all that was on their minds. There's a new way completely. It doesn't have anything to do with Israel or, or anything. But I, I do hear that Israel was suffering. They were in a dry place. They had resisted the Spirit. They were, they were not even a nation unto themselves. They were uh, under the thumb of Rome at the time of Christ. So they were still under discipline to some degree. And it got worse when Christ came and established himself as the Messiah, and they rejected him. So I'll pause. Yes. So the second question was, we'll get back to Ananias and Sophia. Yes. So who, who was it that told them that they had um, committed the act that they had committed, taking the money? Uh, that's Peter. So if you go, it's so in, Peter, right? Yeah, it's in Acts chapter five. Yeah, five three. Then Peter said, "See, so Peter's the one that had confronted them." Yeah. yeah. So, so when when they had um, they both the husband and the wife had both died. Yes. And that was that. That was the act of God, correct? Yes. So, just like it says in 1 Corinthians 11, right? For this cause, <laughs> there it is, many among you are weak, this is 30, and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Uh, so, we know that means physical death for the believer. For asleep, we don't say necessarily, I talk about unbelievers as sleeping. We talk about believers have fallen asleep. Why? Because God's going to wake them up, right? And not wake them up from the standpoint of they're not they're not conscious before God, but wake their bodies. They're going to get new resurrection bodies. It's like the body slumps over and goes to sleep. Right? And isn't that interesting when you go if you've been to a funeral and you look upon a body? And what do if they have done a decent job? You know what we say. It looks just like they're sleeping. That's what we say. It just looks just like they were sleeping. 
And so it is, the body goes to sleep, but the soul and spirit depart from the body and are present with the Lord. I know this isn't what you were talking about necessarily, but yeah, yeah. So a number of you are weak and sick and a number of, of you are, have fallen asleep. And that's true, because look, we can go back to Acts and see where at least two people that we know of did fall asleep in death, right at the apostles' feet. But if, it, if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, and they should have been, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way, we are uh, by the Lord. We are being disciplined so that we will not finally be condemned with the world. So God deals with his own for sure. So, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a tough story. That story is given to us for us to understand how God can and does discipline believers. We are disciplined. No son is received without discipline, says Hebrews 12. Every son he receives, he scourges with a whip. So we should expect that as part of training and uh, in, in growing up in the spiritual life. That's something that should be expected. So sounds rough, right? But <clears throat> we, we want to grow up. So our motivation is not so much to look at things as obstacles, but to benefit from growing in grace and in the knowledge and learning and the, and the deep things of God and all of that. So I'm going to pause. Closing comments, anybody? Yeah, just, just one last thing. That scripture, what you just stated, brings those scriptures in mind where it talks about it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Um, so he's referring to discipline there, correct? Absolutely. Uh, that's in Hebrews, right? So Hebrews chapter 10 is where we read those words, right? Where it talks about those Jewish Christians, those Jewish Hebrews, who were giving in to the pressure uh, or, or considering giving in to the pressure of the Judaizers or, or even Jews who were forcing them, trying to force their hand. So 1026, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. In other words... You already received the knowledge of the truth. What's the knowledge of the truth? That Jesus is the Messiah, right? That the old covenant is over. You can't find forgiveness in the old covenant anymore. That's why it says no sacrifice for sins is left. Well, Christ died. So now what are we going to go to an animal sacrifice and think we can receive forgiveness for that? No, it's over. But what is left for a person who even knows, he knows better, but he goes back to the externals of Judaism, devoid of the spirit. But what's left for him? Only a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And then it goes on. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more? Now, why would somebody reject the law of Moses? He's talking about Jews, people who were Jews. And God had to discipline them with death. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot and has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them and has insulted the Spirit of grace? There it is when you were talking about this, what we were talking about today about how they insulted the Spirit right there. And... Uh, and, you know, another thought is how important it is in Matthew 12, where Jesus says, he talks about the unpardonable sin. And that, what was the unpardonable sin? is refusing. Where the Pharisees called the influence of the Spirit, they said that was evil. They said that was the power of Beelzebub. And that's why... Uh, but, of course, the, the people that were there were recognizing that it was God. Is this the son of David that is here now? He's here doing these wonderful works? Yes. And they said, watch out. Remember, it's like Jesus says, you, you stand in the way of the door of salvation. You won't let anybody else go in, and you yourselves won't go in. And that's what they were doing. They were blocking. And what a dangerous thing to resist 
the Spirit of God when it comes to salvation and call what is holy an unholy thing. So anyway, we have those verses. Thanks for reminding us of them. But we're going to have to close at this point. More conversation is needed. Hopefully we'll have that as we go forward in in this context we're in. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had together this evening. We pray that as we had our focus on these words, I know that we did not fully cover every detail that you would have us cover. But we hope, Father, that it would inspire thought, that others would also go to these verses and allow you to teach them so that we can have full understanding of what is before us. We thank you for the participation of those who are here. We thank you for uh, this church where we can talk about these things openly and freely. We pray for each family represented here as we have already. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.